You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. It may look like an ordinary podcast, but this one's bigger on the inside, and it can travel anywhere in time and space. Pack your sonic screwdrivers and your jelly babies. Grab your hats, scarves, and tighten your bow ties. You're the companion now. So get ready to run with your hosts, Jason Hunt and Paul Gann. This is Talking Time Lords. everybody and welcome back to their fantastic episode of Talking Time Lords. This is episode number 44, Army of Ghosts and Doomsday Story Review. I am as always one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, my podcasting companion through time and space, we have Paul Gann. It's a bit whiffy in here. <laughs> hey Paul, how's it going? Hey, what's going on man? Not much, we're just, you know... New Doctor, new episode, you know, that sort of thing. Is uh, is the heat as wonderful for you as it is for me over here? Mm, probably worse, considering my <laughs> AC was off last night. Nice. Uh, in the middle of, well, the last day of June in Arizona, when it's been raining, and so it's humid and the, the one week, The one week out of the year it rains. <laughs> rains all week long. <laughs> well... We're getting into monsoon season, which lasts about eight, you know, eight weeks, you know, end of June to middle of August. So gotcha. it's just disgusting. Um, well, nice in Mississippi, thing... it stays swampy all the time. So at least you only get it part of the year. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I should have a TARDIS so I can, you know, whiz on up to somewhere nice and cool. One of these. You days. and me both. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, what are we talking about this episode? Paul? Daleks. Hmm, yes. We are continuing our Dalek episode reviews. Daleks versus Cybermen. Oh. (laughs) The first time Daleks and Cybermen have ever met together on screen. Yes. Hmm. And it's very interesting back and forth between the two of them. (laughs) Yes. One of my favorite parts of this story. But before we get into our review, we had just a a, a little bit of news. Oh. Paul, Matt Smith is in the news again. Yes. Wasn't he the last Doctor? Yes. <laughs> What's going on with, with Mr. Smith? Well, there's an internet rumor again where 
people are basically saying, uh, Matt Smith's going to be the first doctor to ever degenerate back into a former incarnation of himself. Which mm-hmm. actually, let's just put it this way. Even if it's true, which we'll get into that in a moment, right. even, if it's, even if it's true, that still wouldn't be the case because we've already seen Curator. Mm-hmm. The great curator. <laughs> and so, you know, even the curator said uh, that you might revisit old faces at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, but let's be honest. Do you really think it's going to happen this soon? No. <laughs> We're not going to go from one to another than back to the first again. No, that's not going to happen. And I think, you know, basically <laughs> that line in the 50th anniversary was a reason to get Tom Baker back in right. for the 50th anniversary. That's that's <laughs> it. That's it. You know, they're, they're not actually planning to use that as a thing. No. Not in the show. Because that's... And, and I'm, I'm going to let you talk here for a second, in a minute. But it's the thing about Doctor Who is it's the, the constant idea of change. You always have the Doctor changing. You always have the companions changing. It just keeps right. changing. And the only time you see old Doctors is when you're doing some sort of special. And they all come back, but they're still, you know, working alongside whatever the current doctor is. You know, that's the right. only time you see old doctors. You're not going to go backwards <laughs> when the well, show is constantly moving forwards. You know, you've got a couple of things. you got people saying, well, Matt Smith has specifically stated that he wants to come back to the show because he regrets ever leaving. And, you know, well, I mean, you can say that about just about everybody that's ever played the part. Right. Except maybe Christopher um, Eccleston. Well, to a certain extent, he probably wishes that he could come back, you know, but I just right. feel like that there's there's just that barrier there for him that just feels like it's probably not a good idea. You know, I don't I don't think it's right. the role. I don't, I don't think it's the role that he has the problem with as much as the the uh, hierarchy of the BBC. Probably. I would agree with that. Um, so. But. You know, then you've got people saying, well, Stephen Moffat said, you know, that, that uh, he, he was hinting that, that Matt Smith might come back because he was talking about how much Matt wanted to be back on the show and how much he missed the show and how he wished he'd never left the show and all of this. And, but the thing is, you know, you've got Stephen Moffat specifically saying all the way back with RTD. He made the quote. He said, the show always looks forward. It's mm-hmm. the fans that always look back. Yes. That was his own quote. So, you know, I don't think that he would be wanting that to happen this early on anyway. Even if it did, even if we did revisit a face at some point, I think that it would probably be, you know, another couple of incarnations down the road or something before we ever saw something like that happen right right exactly it's you know it we're not gonna go like i said we're not gonna go from one to the next and back to the first again you know it's way too soon if you're gonna do it which i doubt they will um i think they're just gonna sort of let that that comment by tom baker lie you know revisit a few old favorites you know well, you know, even even this though, 
they're, we're talking about revisiting doctors' faces. We've still got the Valyard hanging out there somewhere in the future that we've never even, you know, thought about addressing this, right? Right. And, and, and you know, let's be honest. Yeah, we've got Missy. You know, yeah, we have other, you know, Time Lords from Gallifrey that, you know, might be considered an enemy of the Doctor. But the Valyard's a whole other thing, you know, because the Valyard is an incarnation in some way of the Doctor that we don't have any prior knowledge about other than that one instance that we saw him with the Sixth Doctor. So, you know, when you've got that hanging out there in the future somewhere that somebody could do all kinds of cool things with, why wouldn't you jump on that opportunity rather than looking towards, you know, hey, let's rehash something that we did three years ago. Right. <laughs> and I'm sure half of our audience is going, the Valyard, who's that? <laughs> you need to watch Trial of a Time Lord. Yeah. And we'll probably talk about that at some point on here, but uh, we, we have some Dalek stories to get back to. So so let's get back to, <laughs> to our topic at hand. Works for me. Spoilers. Obviously, we are going to be talking about Army of Ghosts and Doomsday, starring David Tennant as the Tenth Doctor, Billy Piper as Rose Tyler. These episodes were originally released the 1st and 8th of July, 2006. They were written by Russell T. Davies and directed by Graham Harper. And uh, these are the season finale episodes for Series 2 of the relaunched series. The new who, if you will. We haven't really had a chance to talk much about David Tennant thus far on the show, Paul. So let's take a minute. Um, overall thoughts on, on David Tennant as the Doctor before we move into the episode. He uh, he cancels out Peter Capaldi by about this much <laughs> being my first favorite modern who Doctor. Because Peter Capaldi has ended up becoming my second favorite of the new Who series. But uh, David Tennant has this charisma about him that just oozes out. And he's almost impossible to dislike as the Doctor. Right. You know, and which is kind of interesting because there are aspects of the character that come out that have just the same amount of darkness as previous incarnations and future incarnations at that time of the doctor. Uh, but he still has that likability behind that, even when he is being scary, you know, and that's very unusual. I think for somebody to be able to pull that off. Yeah. He defined the character of the doctor for the modern series, the way that Tom Baker defined it for the classic series. Yeah, he did. And, up until, and we documented this on the show, up until about halfway through this last season of Doctor Who with Peter Capaldi, David Tennant was my favorite Doctor of the new series. That has, of course, now been eclipsed by the, <laughs> the great Peter Capaldi, who I'm hoping stays on for more than three seasons. Because well, now, be... Peter might edge him out in this next season. I don't know. I'll have to see. It's very close. You know? Right. Very close for me. But David is always going to have this listen to me talking like I, I know the guy <laughs> he he's gonna have this this special place in my heart and it's been a while since i've watched some tenant episodes so 
going back and, and watching these for the show, it was a lot of fun and really nice to to revisit an old friend, so to speak. For me, it was it was literally like it felt like you were kind of going home in a way because, and it's the same thing with with uh, uh, Tom Baker. When I go back and watch the Tom Baker episodes, it feels like I'm coming home. It mm-hmm. feels like that there's just this familiarity that you just almost get this warm fuzzy feeling almost, you know, <laughs> when you're watching that particular incarnation of the Doctor. And it's kind of interesting for me because I didn't expect to have that when David Tennant came on as the doctor. I, I didn't expect to have that happen because I had gotten so attached at that point to Christopher Eccleston, because like I said before, there were aspects of him as different as he was. There were those little hints that reminded me of Tom Baker, Mm -hmm. you know, and as, as subtle and, and, and nuanced as they were, that familiarity was there with him. But then when Tennant came on, he was completely different from Eccleston, but it just kind of felt like, you know, once you had gotten into maybe two episodes with David Tennant, it, it just felt like a comfortable pair of shoes, you know, mm. yeah. and, and that's about the, the best way I can describe it, because you just kind of felt like this is just a friend of mine, almost, you know, uh, this is somebody that I could just hang out and have fun with. And. And it's really interesting to see that dynamic with him because you, as, as, as much as you like other incarnations, like say with Matt Smith and whatnot, you don't always have that instant connection that, that I seem to get when I, when I started watching David Tennant in that role. Very nice. Before we start getting into the details, overall impressions of, of this two-parter? Uh, I like the story. I, I, I feel like that this, kind of fits in with what we've seen before. Um, when when they bring in the reason for things being the way they are, it makes sense with the continuity of everything we've seen up to this point. You know, it doesn't conflict with anything. It just feels kind of like it's part of the natural progression of everything we've seen up to now. It doesn't take you out of the overall Dalek storyline. Yeah, I like it. It's it's not my favorite Dalek story um, of, of Tenants. It, it's not... It's more, you know, saying goodbye to Rose than anything dramatic happening with the Doctor and the Daleks, or the Cybermen in this case, for that matter. It's more, you know, saying goodbye to uh, our beloved first companion, which, of course, we will get into as we go. Before we start digging into the details, just want to remind everybody, since we are doing our Dalek story reviews right now, uh, we are going to be focusing mainly on the Daleks' side of the uh, the conflict here. Uh, when we go back and we end up doing our Cybermen story reviews, we will come back and hit this episode again, focusing more on their plots and stuff. So we'll probably hit the bullet points uh, when it comes to the Cybermen, you know, just to keep you know the idea of the story involved. But we won't dig in deep with what the Cybermen are doing and how that works within their narrative throughout the series this time around. Let's go ahead and jump right into this. Of course, we get this... this sort of ominous narration that kicks everything off with Rose talking about how she's been traveling with the Doctor and how she plans on traveling with him forever. But the narration sort of ends with talking about the army of ghosts, Torchwood, and the war, and this is how it all ended and how she dies. And it's like, what? Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the first episode that we've seen, I believe, that has the narrative to it. That I can recall. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I don't recall them ever using that story technique before, or if they did, it wasn't memorable enough, I think, for me to recall it. Yeah, no, especially not in the new series. I don't think they, they used it before this. 
But um, it was just interesting. You're like, what? And so you're already on pins and needles about everything Rose is going to be doing these two episodes. Because you're like, you can't kill Rose. <laughs> well, the the question that always pops into my head, I've, I've heard other stories told this way, most of which are horror stories or whatever. But when someone is narrating the story for you and they're telling you, this is how I died. Right. You've automatically got the question in your mind of, okay, if this is a story of how you died, then how are you telling me this story? Right. You know? <laughs> and so right. that was the first question that popped into my head. Okay, if this is how you died, how are you telling me this story? Exactly. So that was kind of an interesting thing for me to kind of follow the story just so that I could see how that would even be possible. Right. But, of course, the TARDIS materializes the Powell estate, and David Tennant and Rose are going to come back and visit Jackie basically so Rose can stop off and, you know, do her laundry. <laughs> like a typical college kid. Hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. So good to see you. What's for dinner? Can I use your washing machine? Doesn't the TARDIS have a washing machine? <laughs> you would think. <laughs> if it has a swimming pool, I mean, you would think it would have a washing machine. <laughs> you would think. But then we never see the doctor change his outfit, really. So, who knows? Maybe he doesn't have B.O. like some people do. Mm. <laughs> Things start getting weird when Jackie talks about how she's expecting Granddad Prentice to come by and visit any minute, even though he's been dead for ten years. Because that's not weird, you know. Right. And Jackie says, well, when he gets here, you'll understand. And it turns out at exactly, I believe it was ten past whatever the hour was, on the dot, this ghost materializes in Jackie's kitchen. It's a very, you know, blurred, human-like ghostly figure and apparently there's ghosts all over the place you know all over london and england and europe and the world you know people are seeing ghosts and apparently according to jackie as the doctor starts flipping through all the news channels trying to catch up on what's going on these ghosts have been showing up all over the place for a couple months and the ghost shift is what they're calling them ends two minutes later and the ghosts all disappear and the doctor says, this isn't right. So, you know, something is obviously wrong. And so he decides he needs to figure out what it is. Of course, we get an idea that this isn't exactly natural because we cut to Yvonne Hartman at the Torchwood Institute where there's a bunch of people, you know, with big giant levers and computers monitoring ghost energy at 5,000 gigawatts. And they're congratulating themselves about the whole thing. You're like, hmm. This is where I kind of didn't know how I felt about the storytelling of it because I am more of the type of person who likes to follow the mystery aspect of a story. And so it's just probably personal taste for me. In my mind, I almost wish that they had told it in a way where the doctor had to put the pieces together to track down how this was happening. And then he finds the Torchwood Institute through that investigation as opposed to them just saying, okay, here it is. These are the people that are doing it, and this is how they're doing it, and, you know, and doing it that way. Um, it's just kind of a personal taste, I think, for me. Well, while we sort of get, you know, a, a slight explanation for everything going on with the ghosts, we also get introduced to another mystery, though, at Torchwood, because Yvonne contacts Dr. Raja Singh and asks about the sphere whether it registered any reaction. And he says, nope, nothing. Nothing has been able to get any sort of reading off of this sphere. The most advanced technology hasn't been able to get anything, any sort of reading off of it. The, this large 
it's a bronze sphere thing that's just floating above him. It almost it seems like seems it doesn't even want to reflect light. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's very dull. But according to all of the instruments, it doesn't exist. Uh, he tries to touch it, but you know, an invisible barrier seems to you know just block his hand, and he can't actually make contact with it. So it's it's bizarre. Just real quick, two of the torchwood workers, Adiola and Gareth, try and sneak off for a quick snog, <laughs> and uh, Adiola is apparently the cousin of Martha. Yes. Which was retconned because Freema ended up getting cast as the new companion, you know, for the next season, but she was already in an episode <laughs> of Doctor Who, so it was like, uh, she was my cousin. Yes. My, my, uh, my son was watching the episodes with me, um, and this was the second time that he had seen them, and he was watching it, and he goes, wait a minute, that's Martha, right? And I said, nope, that's not Martha. And he says, but it looks just like Martha. And I said, nope, that's not Martha. <laughs> he kept asking. I said, that's her cousin. He says, wait, but what? That, that doesn't make sense. That's Martha. And I said, nope, that's her cousin. <laughs> oh, man. Not the first time that someone has been cast in Doctor Who and then gone on to become a companion or the Doctor in that case. Well, they did intentionally try to make her look different in her wardrobe and everything else, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when she did come back as Martha, but you know, he She's just got a very distinctive face. Yeah. He latched onto that and wouldn't let it go. He's like, no, that's Martha. You right. know, <laughs> well, their, their quick snog turns, um, somewhat terrifying because they disappear into this section of the offices that are being renovated. And we don't exactly see what happens, but they scream and there's something and we cut away. Did we see the Cybermen in that? Yes, we did. We saw like a very quick uh, flash of the mm-hmm. Cyberman head. But visually, there was some, I don't want to say foreshadowing, but just some visual uh, parallels from this shot in this episode to what then would happen in the first episode of the Torchwood series because the janitors that are walking around uh, with the blue uh, coveralls on mm-hmm. and then like the uh, plastic that was hanging down and all of that, there were some things that were very similar to that in the first episode of the Torchwood series. And so I didn't pay attention to that when I was watching this the first couple of times, but this time when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I see that from Torchwood. Wait, I see that from Torchwood. You know, and so... I don't know if if Russell T. Davies did that on purpose or maybe he was just reusing some of the things from Doctor Who when he made Torchwood. But I just noticed some some visual similarities there. Right. The Doctor and Rose are definitely on the hunt to basically determine what is causing these ghosts to appear. And they plan on catching a ghost next ghost shift. Who you going to call? Ghostbusters! And, of course, Jackie's very irritated. You know, why can't you just let it be wonderful and everything? You know, our old friends and family's coming back to visit us. Isn't that wonderful? I think it's horrific. Yeah. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you know. Well, the doctor knows that 99 times out of 100, there's usually a scientific reason why these things are happening. Mm-hmm. So he's setting up his devices, and Rose is getting, you know, all the computer stuff ready, and Jackie's just commenting on how much she's changed, how she's not, you know... She's becoming someone other than Rose Tyler. She tells her, you kind of look like him, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she says, but that's a good thing. 
because all I was before was just a shop girl. And, right. and Jackie looks at her and she's like, what's wrong with being a shop girl? I worked in a shop. And Rose is like, that's not what I mean and you know it. Right. <laughs> Gareth and Adiola return to their desks, but instead of one Bluetooth, they have two, which when we get to our Cybermen stuff will look very familiar. The ghost shift gets powered up and the doctor traps a ghost with his device. He's looking at it through 3D glasses and, you know, adjusting some knobs and switches on whatever he's cobbled together to, you know, get the proper readings and trace where the energy source is coming from. Due to his interfering, however, Torchwood is able to determine, you know, something is going wrong. And so they shut down the ghost shift and try and track down where the source of the interference is coming from. Uh, There's a CCTV camera next to the playground where the TARDIS is parked. Oh, while I'm thinking... Did you notice that this was the same playground that we would later see in the Zygon Zygon invasion and inversion? Yes. Oh, it never hit me until I watched it this time. It was exactly the same playground. It was. I literally almost squeed like a little girl. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, it's the same playground, you know. (laughs) I love it when they they link that stuff together. Well, you know... England's got 10 actors that they breed and, you know, seven sets that they reuse and, you know, (laughs) the joke anyway. Oh, but But, that also means that this was near where Clara lives when mm -hmm. it was happening as well. So, yeah, but the, the camera turns to see where the disturbance came from and catches the TARDIS as the doctor dematerializes it heading towards the energy source that's, you know, generating these ghosts. And Yvonne Hartman knows exactly who the Doctor is and knows exactly that he's coming there, gets very excited, and starts making preparations. Of course, the Doctor and Rose are like, ah, this is great. We did, you know, awesome and everything. We know exactly where we're going and we're off. And Rose goes, my mom's still on board. (laughs) And the Doctor looks up at Jackie, who's sitting, you know, on one of the the balconies, basically. If we end up on Mars, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Oh, it was... I like Jackie. Especially in these episodes. You know, these episodes... She's she's funny in these episodes. She's frisky. You know. (laughs) That is definitely true as well. (laughs) Of course, they land in the Torchwood Tower loading bay. TARDIS is immediately surrounded by guards, and so the Doctor goes out by himself. Hands raised, he tries to introduce himself, and Miss Hartman starts applauding the Doctor for, you know, showing up, and he goes, I'm the Doctor. I should say so! Hooray! You know. (laughs) And he looks confused. (laughs) Well, yes, I would be too, you know. She welcomes him to Torchwood and says... She's acting all sweet and friendly and nice, and she goes, but according to our records, you always travel with a companion, so where is she? And the doctor sort of grimaces and reaches into the TARDIS and grabs Jackie. Yeah. This is Rose Tyler. She looked in the heart of the time vortex, age 57 years. I'm 40! 40. You know. <laughs> and then he says, she's delusional. <laughs> yep, right. <laughs> Looking to trade her in for a new model. Not anybody interested. You know. Oi! <laughs> Oh, he loves messing with Jackie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Of course, Ro- that leaves Rose still inside the TARDIS, you know, able to, you know, do what the Doctor wants her to do. And so Miss Hartman, you know, gives them the grand tour of Torchwood and bringing him to all these different things, you know, explains the Institute motto, if it's alien, it's ours, 
And, of course, he finds out that Torchwood was established by Queen Victoria, who he and Rose had run into with the werewolf, you know, many episodes earlier, and all this stuff. Just a question. Yes. What was your first impression of... Von Hartman? Yes. What was your first impression of her in this story? Because the very first time that I ever watched this story, mm-hmm. my brain immediately paralleled her with Ben Statt. Really? Okay. Um, I didn't I didn't go that far. But I didn't get that this time when I went back and watched it. I got a completely different vibe off of her this time when I went back and watched it. I, I, didn't, I didn't go that far. Uh, you know... There was something that seemed somewhat genuine about her, mm-hmm. but there was also something that was just off enough to set my teeth on edge. It was one of those things where it was like, you want to keep her kind of at arm's length. You could work with her, but you want to keep her at arm's length. You don't want to, you know, trust her too much. Well, this time when I went back and watched it, I got this vibe off of her that she wanted to be a good person, mm-hmm. but she's so preoccupied with everything that's going on, and she's so focused on everything that she's doing with this organization that she forgets to care about what's important and the other people around her and the things that she should be focusing on as a good person. Yeah. She's gotten so wrapped up in her work that that's all that really matters at the end of the day. Right. And Um, I didn't, you know, of course I'm in a different mindset now than I was 10 years ago, obviously, mm -hmm. but I didn't get that impression of her, you know, 10 years ago when I watched this that I did this time as an older person watching this, you know. Of course, the doctor, you know, quickly determines that since he's alien and if it's alien, it's ours, he's technically a prisoner at Torchwood, but they have use for him because he has so much knowledge. And of course, Miss Hartman takes him to see the sphere, which of course the doctor brings out his 3D glasses again, identifies it as a void ship, um, hypothetical craft for traveling through the nothingness between parallel universes. And when Dr. Singh asks how they can get into the sphere, Doctor says, don't. Send it back where it came from. And Miss Hartman says, we don't know how. Least, uh, he says it's theoretically supposed to be impossible. Right. You know, that he didn't even know that the technology was even able to be created to make this happen. Yeah. It was a theoretical idea. Um, I think but, the, the Time Lords came up with it, though, right? The Time Lords had theorized about it, but had never put it into effect. So that makes you think that maybe uh, this technology was stolen maybe from some of their archives or something. It's possible. Um, as Hartman says that, you know, the void ship came through the Earth and that the ghosts followed in its wake. And so there seems to be some sort of connection between the two. And they are able to control when the ghosts come through by, you know, fire, you know, Fire particle firing particle engines at the the breach, which know. the doctor told them they weren't even supposed to have in the twentieth twenty first century anyway. Right, which you know, Miss <laughs> Hartman says, well, of course not, but we've you know developed this technology based on all the alien stuff that we've you know got around <laughs> here. Of course, to get to the breach, which is you know six hundred feet in the air, they've built you know Torchwood Tower in order to get to it. Of course, the public at large know that skyscraper as Canary Wharf, which Jackie identifies. Yeah, the look that you get on on Miss Hartman's face when Jackie brings that up, she looks at her like, uh, now that you know this, we can't let you go. You know? Right. right. <laughs> One last thing. I don't want to get too deep into this because, you know, it's focusing more on the Cybermen part of this. They're getting ready for the next ghost shift, and Miss Hartman wants the doctor to be there to witness it. And the doctor says... No, 
because this is what has happened. And he used his sonic screwdriver to, you know, go to a glass wall that says Torchwood on it. And he points it at one of the O's and turns it on, and the sonic screwdriver punches a hole through the glass of one of the O's, and the rest of the glass starts to shatter around it. Like a huge spider web. Yeah. And he keeps the sonic screwdriver on while he's talking, and as he's talking, the cracks get more and more and more and more, until at the end of his, you know, little spiel, he just taps the glass, and it completely falls apart. He says, basically, that hole is where the void ship came through. The cracks are the ghosts. And the more ghost shifts you do, the worse you're making the cracks. And he decides to not try and stop the, uh, the ghost shift. And he just sits back and watches, you know, can't wait for it, you know, that sort of thing. And he gets Jackie to help him with that. You know, oh, the look that... on his face, though, when she refuses to shut it down. He's sitting there with this piercing glare in his eyes, just yeah. daring her to do oh, yeah. it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And, and uh, it made me kind of get unnerved a little bit. And I wasn't even in the room with him, you know? <laughs> right. But the the doctor's very quick gear change there unnerves Miss Hartman enough so that she cancels the ghost shift in order to get more intelligence, is the reasoning behind that. Rose manages to leave the TARDIS after the TARDIS has been stored, you know, back in a back area of the storage facility there at the Torchwood Towers. Next to a sarcophagus, which I can only imagine is one of the ones from Pyramids of Mars, since it's alien, she uses the psychic paper and finds a stray lab coat and starts making her way through Torchwood. Here's the interesting thing for me in this scenario. Uh-huh. I'm watching this, and of course Rose is only supposed to be 19 at this time. You know, So I'm watching this, and I'm looking at her, and I'm going... How is somebody that's 19 years old going to pass herself off as one of these doctors in this facility? But then as soon as she puts the lab coat on with the pins in the pocket and everything else, it's almost like it aged her up some so that it it made her look like that she was somewhat believable as somebody that did work here. You know, and and so that kind of I was like, huh, well, that's interesting, (laughs) you know, Yeah, because I, I didn't expect her to be able to pull that off. To be honest about it. Right, and she sees someone, you know, sort of scurrying down a hallway, and decides, ah, I should follow them. And this person scurrying down the hallway is also in a lab coat, and she follows him to the room where the sphere is being kept. She goes in there and she uses the psychic paper to put it on the wall panel, which I've never seen anybody do before. Mm-hmm. She used that to get into the room so apparently that psychic paper made the wall panel think that it was an id badge yeah so she was able to go inside i thought that was really clever because before you'd only seen them use that with people you'd never seen them use that with any kind of technology right rose her attention is immediately absorbed by the sphere and dr singh starts asking who she is and why she's there she hands over the psychic paper as her credentials and Dr. Singh goes, yeah, this doesn't work on me. <laughs> and begins to report her, which, of course, you know, gets back to Miss Hartman, who looks accusingly at the doctor and goes, yeah, that's Rose. Well, then who's this? I'm her mother. You travel with her mother? <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Ruin my reputation. 
Well, I thought um, it was I thought it was kind of cute at first though because he said I don't know who she is and uh, she says oh so that I can just have her shot right <laughs> oh all right that's Rose Tyler you know sorry <laughs> I missed the interaction between the ensemble cast of Tenet's first season I, I, I really liked the the back and forth between all of those characters. Meanwhile, Adiola, Matt, and Gareth, you know, Matt has been, you know, now absorbed by the Cybermen or whatever, have been secretly activating the ghost shift behind Miss Hartman's back. And it starts to power up, which starts, you know, the, the worst ghost shift ever, because there's more ghosts than ever. But more importantly for us this episode, something about it gets through to the sphere. And the sphere starts reacting. And so while the Doctor and Miss Hartman are trying to, you know, identify what's going on with the ghost shift, Rose, Doctor Singh, and Samuel, who was the guy that Rose was following, who's not actually Samuel, uh, he's actually Mickey. Yeah. Mickey the Idiot. Back from the uh, ultimate dimension. Well, the ninth Doctor's the only one that ever called him Mickey the Idiot. Well, you know. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> I, I did uh, hear an interview with that actor recently and he explained why he played the character so differently at the beginning of that first season than what he did later on and he said that he was literally only given like one day notice that he was going to get the part and he was brought in with no guidance and no practice nothing Uh, they gave him his lines and said okay you're supposed to be the comic relief and so he said, <laughs> okay, I'm going to play it like the comic relief. And he basically hammed it up and, and really played it off like he was an imbecile, you know. And then he said, uh, when they brought me back to do it again, they had already done like five episodes or something after that. And the show had taken a completely different tone than what it started out with. And he said, I looked at what they were doing and I looked at what I had already done and I was like, I can't play it that way anymore. The character has to grow and be different because the show has grown and and is now different. And so he started playing the character as a serious character that did a couple of, you know, stupid things maybe or that didn't or or maybe played clueless every once in a while but was still played as as a serious character. And that's the reason why the tone shifted so much. And that's the reason why Mickey ended up becoming a, a more serious character at the end of this run than what he did at the beginning of his run. Gotcha. Well, the Cybermen have revealed themselves, and they are ensuring that the ghost shift gets powered up to 100%. All this time, nobody is listening to Dr. Singh's pleas for help and assistance in dealing with the sphere, which is you know now being registered on all the instruments and is shaking and getting ready to open. And uh, during this, the Cybermen have revealed that they had no nothing to do with the sphere. Uh, they just followed it through the void. Mickey pulls out a giant gun from underneath the workstation. <laughs> I love these astro cannons, I think is what you'd call them. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> and, you know, he's ready for Cybermen because he's been hunting them down from the, the parallel universe that he was previously left in. And... As the Cybermen march through the cracks between the universe and the ghosts solidify into Cybermen, the sphere opens and Cybermen are not inside. Out comes four very angry, very loud Daleks. Yeah, and and the nice thing about this 
is that they could pull this off in a way that literally does not break any of the continuity that we've had previous. You know, it was really done in a really clever way how they brought these these, these Daleks back into this. Yeah. So we're going to get into Doomsday now. And the Daleks are getting ready to exterminate Rose, Mickey, and Dr. Singh when Rose calls them out by name. Tells them who they are. You <laughs> and know, they you are can almost hear the record scratch, you know. Right. <laughs> exactly. There's, there's one black Dalek and three bronze Daleks. And there's... The Daleks also have this other piece of technology that they've pulled out of the sphere with them. And she tells them that she knows about the Daleks and the Time War and that Mickey and Dr. Singh play along. They know, too, in order to you know, stay alive. The black Dalek who's in charge asks about the Genesis Arc and orders that it be awakened and protected at all costs. Uh, the black Dalek, who we later find out is Dalek Sec. I believe that's right. Yeah, the Black Dalek asks which of the three of them is least important. Rose at first refuses to answer, but Dr. Singh says it's his responsibility, it's his lab, so he you know, steps up and uh, the Daleks ask him to kneel. They need to know everything about what's going on. Dr. Singh says, well, I can tell you how much I know. And they say, speech is not required. Yeah. And then three of the Daleks, you know, extend their plungers onto poor Dr. Singh's head and extract the information from his brain. And he screams like he's being just tortured to death. Yeah. And This um, is the second time you get to see the plungers used on a human. Uh, it, it's kind of horrific in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, they, after they drain all the information they need from his brain... They let him go, and his corpse falls to the floor. And his head looks almost like it's been mummified. Yeah. You know, Rose says, you didn't need to kill him, and they, well, we didn't need him alive either. <laughs> yeah, because that's always the best reason to kill somebody. <laughs> right. So the Cybermen are basically trying to take over and order surrender, but humans aren't surrendering because Cybermen are in their homes and terrorizing their children. They also notice that there are other life forms in the building and send a couple of Cybermen to investigate the Daleks also send Dalek Thay to investigate. And this is a very interesting scene. Everybody is watching on their various screens this first encounter between Daleks and Cybermen. The two Cybermen and the Dalek meet in the corridor outside the void room. And there's first, you know, a back and forth about, you know, ordering each other to identify themselves. <laughs> Which the Daleks, you know, the Dalek accidentally slips up when it says, Daleks do not take orders, you know. <laughs> you have identified as Dalek. Yes. <laughs> we are Cybermen. And the Cybermen propose an alliance with the Daleks, and the Daleks, you know, refuse the alliance because they don't want to share the universe. Because uh, Cybermen are inferior. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, Dalek, they then shoots the Cybermen, and the Cyber Leader opens direct communications with Dalek Sec. And this is where things get really funny. <laughs> Cyber leader, you know, says that you've declared war on the Cybermen. This is not war. This is pest control. And and that is when the Cyber leader, you know, reveals their numbers. You know, at, what was it? You know, five million or whatever it was. Uh, Cybermen. How many do you have? Four. You would be able to stand against us with four Daleks. You would be able to stand against you with one Dalek. You Cybermen are only superior in one way. What way is that? You are better at dying, you know. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Burn. 
insults thrown between the Daleks and the Cybermen is funny, and the Daleks are better at it. Um, I, I almost expected the prisoners to go, woo-woo, you know? <laughs> because that's what the audience at home was doing. Right. <laughs> Uh, the doctor unobtrusively manages to walk through the uh, the shot behind the cyber leader in order to get the Daleks' attention. After they cut down communications, Daleks say, wait, wait, rewind, you know, and they see the doctor and demand that Rose identify who it is. She goes, yeah, that's the doctor. <laughs> and they to back which, up. You can see yep. them. They back up about six inches. And they're like, uh, you know, <laughs> five million Cybermen, easy. One doctor, now you're scared. Yeah, I love that. The doctor is, you know, supposed to stay with the Cybermen, but Jackie and Yvonne Hartman are hauled off to be upgraded. And this is where Jackie starts yelling back at him, said, you promised that you would protect us. You promised you wouldn't let anything happen to us. And you can just see the look on his face where he just looks like he's completely helpless and doesn't know what to do. Right. All of a sudden... A strike team appears in the control room. Literally. There, just flashes out of nowhere. And, you know, blast all the Cybermen in the room. Uh, it's Jake from the Parallel Universe. Which uh, we've never talked about yet. We haven't talked about yet. So no. we're not going to focus too much on that because <laughs> we're talking about Daleks. Yes. Uh, but we do need to get, you know, some of this information in there. You know, with the Cyber Leader destroyed, however, Jackie is able to escape as the Cybermen try and appoint a new cyber leader. Miss Hartman does not, however. The Doctor is very irritated with Jake and his strike team, saying, you just can't hop from one universe to another. Yes, we can. We do it like this. And transports the Doctor and everybody back to the parallel universe, to their world's version of Torchwood, and, you know, guess who's there? Pete Tyler. Rose's and, father from another dimension. Right. And, uh, you know, the Doctor... If you've not seen the backstory to this, go back and watch it so that you can know what we're talking about. Exactly. You know, but I would think you'd have seen it. It's relatively easy to get, you know, access to the new Who stuff. Well, on Amazon Prime. That is true. Now it's Amazon Prime. <laughs> <sighs> Thanks to uh, Netflix and Hulu not wanting to pay as much. <laughs> right. Anyway, whenever Amazon Prime's contract is up, though, I'm, I'm betting we'll get it on, you know, everywhere again. Hopefully. We'd like to think so, anyways. The Daleks, meanwhile, focus their attention on activating the Genesis Arc. The Doctor doesn't even know what this is. Right. The Doctor doesn't know what it is. Rose and Mickey have no idea what it is. He just knows uh, it's stolen Gallifrey technology. Yeah. And uh, the Daleks determine that the Cybermen can wait. They need to get this Genesis Arc activated. Uh, meanwhile, in the alternate universe, or parallel universe, Pete is having a very long heart-to-heart -heart with the Doctor about how they need to save this universe and that sort of thing, and, you know, all the other stuff that we'll get into in more detail when we talk about the Cybermen side of things. It's kind of difficult to talk about this and only talk about one side of it, you know? Right. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to be that hard. Right. Um, Rose and Mickey are trying to figure out what the Genesis arc is, and when Rose finally asks what's inside the Genesis arc, the Dalek replies, The future. What? <laughs> what does that mean? The Doctor and Pete... You know, determine that they have to go back to our universe, you know, with the Doctor trying to, you know, organize a hookup between Pete and Jackie. <laughs> Which is funny. 
But, you know, of course, Jackie and Pete, you know, meet up and very awkward conversation about how it's not actually, you're not actually my Jackie. You know, you're not actually my Pete. And, oh, who cares, you know. Did you get the feels in this part? Mm, a little bit, yes. I got the major feels in this part. <laughs> um, it was always funny. It was funny, you know, made me rich. I don't care about that. How rich? How rich. <laughs> very rich. That doesn't matter. How very. How very. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, and then you find out that the reason why Jackie is still alone is because nobody else compared to him. Exactly. Uh, So they, you know, they each kind of forget about the fact that they're the doppelganger from the other universe and just, right. you know, it's, it's like we found each other again. Yeah. They, they finally go, Oh, what the hell? Who cares? You know, <laughs> the doctor basically teams up with the Cybermen to take out the Daleks. So we have sort of a truce, not necessarily an alliance, just a truce while the two sides work together to eliminate the Daleks. Uh, Dalek sect demands that the Rose activate the arc. And because they need the, background radiation that she's picked up from being a time traveler, much the same way that she activated the Dalek back during the Ninth Doctor's run. Well, now she has enough knowledge uh, that she knows that it was the background radiation of being a time traveler that the Daleks had learned to harness as a power source. Exactly. They, They threaten Mickey in order to get Rose to comply, although Mickey would have worked too because he's now traveled in time and space. And just before she does it, she turns to the Dalek and tells how she met the Dalek Emperor and turned him into dust, you know, and all that fun stuff. Of course, we still don't know if it was the actual Dalek Emperor or a self-proclaimed Dalek Emperor. That was never made clear. So It didn't matter to them at that point, you know. <laughs> I'm but, I only bring it up because of, of future stories that we're going to go through. Well, you know, you lose one Dalek Emperor, you appoint another, you know. It's (laughs) simple as that. The Daleks are getting furious and are about to exterminate them when the Doctor shows up. And there's this fun little conversation about how they each of them survived the Time War, the Doctor by being on the front lines, and these Daleks by hiding in the void, basically. And we determine that these are the Cult of Scarrow. Which the Doctor said he thought was a myth. Right. Basically, these Daleks have names, you know, Dalek Thay, Dalek Sek, Dalek Jast, and Dalek Khan. And they were a secret order whose purpose was to think like the enemy thinks, to find new ways of killing. And even the Doctor still can't tell anybody what the Genesis Arc is, because both sides had secrets. And the Dalek Sek says that the Time Lord science will ensure the supremacy of the Daleks, and orders the Doctor open the Ark. He says, the Doctor will open the Ark. He says, oh no, the Doctor will not. <laughs> right. He brandishes the sonic screwdriver and says, you know, it won't kill, wound, or maim, but it's very good for opening doors. Yeah. And he ter- activates it, and the doors explosively open, and Cybermen enter and open fire on the Daleks using the modified energy rifles. It has some effect on the Daleks, but not much. In the confusion, however, the Doctor, Rose, and Mickey escape out the door, but not before Mickey is knocked against the Ark by a damaged Cyberman, and uh, his hand touches it, and it begins to activate. 
And the Doctor says it's okay because you probably saved us all from having the Daleks threaten to eliminate the sun, basically, in order to get us to open the thing. This is essentially the Dalek invasion of Earth part two at this point, right? Right. <clears throat> because, you know, one of the Daleks takes the Genesis arc high above the city... And as it activates, it's hovering up there, and it starts to spin. And as it spins, every revolution it has, another Dalek gets flung out of this arc until there's thousands and thousands of Daleks. The doctor said millions, but... Millions, okay. I don't know how he would know that, though. (laughs) He's guesstimating, (laughs) as the doctor always does. Um, of course, and, by and this, his guesses are not always right, as we've seen before in other stories. <laughs> right. <laughs> I might have accidentally, you know, I might have miscalculated. <laughs> um, this is, of course, you know, the Daleks have blasted their way out of Torchwood and are protecting the Genesis Ark as it continues to unleash Daleks, and the Doctor finally determines that it's a prison ship, basically, you know, bigger on the inside. And that who knows how many Daleks are actually inside. It could hold up to, you know, millions. It almost sounds like a, like a little sister to the TARDIS, almost. Like, it's it's a TARDIS that can't travel in time and space, almost, is what it sounds like. Right. That's why, you know, why they can have a prison, but, you know, lock it in a closet, basically, so nobody has to know about it. The Daleks and Cybermen are basically fighting an all-out war in London. Um, all the Daleks have been recalled to and, London. And the Daleks are not e- not just killing the Cybermen, they're killing everybody. You know, mm-hmm. they're aiming at anything that moves. Essentially. The Doctor has a plan, though. Apparently, why he's been using the 3D glasses is he can see the Void stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we don't really find out what Void stuff is. I thought that was kind of interesting. He's been using these things off and on through the entire story, and he finally just says it. Are you not ever going to ask me what the glasses are about? You know? Right. <laughs> oh. um, basically, when you travel through the Void, you get pick up particles, you know, much the same way that you pick up background radiation when you travel through time. And basically his plan is to open up the Void, the breach again, and... The way that he's got it set up, anything that's covered in this void stuff will be sucked back through the void and into the void, thus, you know, saving humanity. Rose points out that they're covered in void stuff, too, which he says, well, I'll use these magnet clamps, and as soon as it is safe, we'll turn it off, and I won't be pulled in. However, that means that Pete and Jackie and Mickey and Jake are going to be going back to the parallel universe because they'll be safe on that side. The breach will not be opened up on that side, only this. And the Doctor essentially tricks Rose into going with them all to keep her safe, you know, so she doesn't get sucked into the void. Of course, before they can stop her, Rose reactivates her transporter button and comes back to where the Doctor is and declares that she's not leaving him, much to Jackie's chagrin. Rose and the Doctor get everything set up and basically are protected by retreating Cybermen by Cyber Yvonne Hartman, who stands there at the top of the stairs defending it, saying, I did my duty for Queen and Country. It still has her voice underneath the Cyberman's voice. And I thought that was kind of, you know, kind of uh, eerie almost, you know. It was almost like, I I don't know how I feel about that, you know. Right. Uh, It it felt a little uncomfortable almost. Yeah, it was odd. Very odd. Kind of freaky. 
As the Doctor and Rose are beginning to activate the breach, the Daleks and Cybermen all start to figure out what's going on. A couple of Daleks come and try and stop them, but they're just a little bit too late and are the first to get sucked back into the Void. When the Void uh, breach is activated, uh, the Cult of Scarrow initiate an emergency temporal shift. They initiate an emergency temporal shift and escape, and uh, they are not sucked into the Void. And we will get into that as we continue on our Dalek episode reviews. But everything starts hurtling into the void. Daleks and Cybermen alike. And through the chaos that is beginning to ensue, the lever on Rose's side gets knocked out of place. And Rose has to go and push it back into place in order to continue to hold the breach open long enough for everything to get sucked through. Which really, you know, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, okay, why didn't you put those anchors a little closer to those levers in the first place? Mm. You know, that's my thought. (laughs) But, you know, then you would have not had the story in the way that it did. So, Right. Um, Rose gets it up. The Doctor's still holding on to his magnet clamp, which is working rather well. As soon as Rose gets her lever up, though, she starts getting sucked towards the void, and so she's left hanging on to this lever. She can't get back to her clamp, and get to see some nice little wire work as she gets pulled up into the air, holding on by just her fingertips until the pull from the breach is so strong that she can't hold on anymore. And she starts flying towards the void breach, only to be saved at the last moment by Pete materializing in the middle of the room, grabbing her, and then smashing the button again to transport them back to the alternate universe. Did it strike you as if that was kind of happening a little in slow motion? Yes. Um, Because uh, if it had have happened, I think, in the time frame that it showed it on screen, I think it would have been a lot more likely that they would have been sucked into the void. You know, I think it had to happen almost instantaneously for that not to happen. Right, exactly. You know, Pete was there long enough to catch her, but not long enough for the void stuff to start getting sucked into the void. So that had to be really, really fast. I'm sure it was, you know. Of course, my only question at this point was how did Pete know where she was going to be, you know? That's the question. Uh, Yeah. But a dad just knows, you know, you got to think that. I mean, I, I wasn't asking myself that question the first couple of times I watched it, but, you know, after you've watched the episodes several times, you start to ask those kinds of questions, you know. Right. And and I'm not saying that as a criticism. I'm saying that because you just become so familiar with the material that you just have different things come into your mind once you've experienced it so much. Right. As the last of the Daleks and Cybermen get sucked into the void, the breach collapses in on itself, and shuts down, leaving the Doctor standing there by himself. Did you get the The, feels at this point? uh, Yes. (laughs) The Doctor and Rose, both extremely sad, go to that wall, put their their face against it, and of course, I'm sure everyone's seen the meme that's gone around of somebody who's put two computer desktops as those images next to each other, and, you know, ugh, sad and then they both have to, you know, walk away alone. Sometime later, though, Rose has a dream where she hears the Doctor's voice calling. Rose, Jackie, Pete, and Mickey all follow the voice from the dream. 
We know that it was at least longer than three months after this originally took place because of Jackie. At least for her. Because of Jackie's situation. Right. I would say it was probably longer than that. I would say it's probably been probably closer to six months, if I had to probably. say. Probably. At least for Rose. Uh, the doctor's probably only been an hour or two. However, they're about 50 miles outside Bergen, Norway, where the doctor has managed to project an image of himself into the parallel universe in a place that's roughly translated as Bad Wolf Bay. Yeah. Oh, the irony. Well, see, this um, is the reason why I said some of the things that I did before when we were talking about Bad Wolf. With her becoming the Bad Wolf, or she took on the name of Bad Wolf, she had absorbed all of this uh, energy from the time vortex. It seemed to me that it, it had given her the ability to see the past, the present, and the future kind of simultaneously and be able to use things that would be significant to Rose and the Doctor. And so it kind of made me think that this is where that entity that called itself Bad Wolf got the name of Bad Wolf, was seeing the future of what was going to happen between Rose and the Doctor. You know, It's possible. I haven't given that hardly any thought at all. So, um. <laughs> <laughs> I, Like I said, I overthink things sometimes. Well. <laughs> uh, the Doctor is basically harnessing the power of a supernova that's burning out to say goodbye in order to project this image through the last of the cracks between universes. They can't touch. They've got two minutes, and they say, you know, goodbye and all this stuff. Uh, basically, we get the, the resolution to the narration of, you know, Rose's death by she's marked among the dead because she went missing after the battle at Canary Wharf, which is where we get her death. Uh, she jokes and says that she's back working at a shop and then says, no, no, I'm actually working at Torchwood, which is reopened there uh, because they could use her expertise with aliens. And uh, the doctor says, you know, Rose Tyler, Defender of Earth, you know. This, of course, will come into play later on with some future Dalek stories. Right, which so we'll get to eventually. We get this last section of the goodbye where they're both tearing up and crying. Rose declares you know, to the Doctor that she loves him. The Doctor begins to reply in kind. It says, Rose Tyler... And that's when the energy burns out. Right. And he never says it. It still remained unrequited. Yes. Uh, well, at least in in the sense that by the time they finally got around to telling each other, there was nothing that could be done about it. Right. You know, we get final scene with Rose as she runs back to her mother's arms and, you know, cries because of the pain, obviously. Uh, we get back to the TARDIS and the doctor is sobbing as well. He's got tears streaming down his face, pulls himself together, wipes away his tears, and with a look of complete sadness begins to activate the TARDIS controls to go off again. Oh, this is such a good ending, though. <laughs> Looks up, and there's a bride standing in the TARDIS. Should we say who it is? Well, we'll get to her eventually, <laughs> so we might as well. We're not going to talk about the next episode. All the doctor can say is, what? What? You know, as she, this bride is very loud and demonstrative. Yes. And it's like, what? Who are you? What the hell is this place? Where am I? And we get our first introduction to Donna, Donna Noble. Noble. Yeah. 
Oh, it's so good. Such a good ending. The funny thing is, uh, watching the credits for this episode, she's only identified as The Bride. Yeah. In the credits. <laughs> Not Donna Noble. It's The Bride. Well, we don't even know if they had even named the character... Uh, when this scene was shot, you know, we know that right. we know that she was named in the Christmas special that followed, but we don't know uh, if they even named her when this episode was created. Um, the 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 thing about it that I got from this too, uh, and it's probably uh, something that if we go back and really pay attention to, we'll probably see more of this in the way that Russell T Davies tells some of these stories because every single time in this story. When you have one of those scenes where you really start to get the feels and you really start to get that emotion coming up, it immediately will switch to something else, like instantly switch to something else and take you out of it instantly. You know, he does that with the the previous scene with uh, Rose's parents where you really start to, to feel the emotion coming up. And then suddenly it switches to a battle between the Daleks and the Cybermen. And, and you're just taken completely out of that emotional scene. And, mm-hmm. and it doesn't even give you any kind of a transition. It's just an instantaneous change. And then he does the same thing at the end with, with the Doctor and Rose. You really have the feels coming back up and you get that emotion welling up. And then he instantly turns around and there's Donna Noble. And it ends on a funny note rather than a sad note because that's just the way that he feels the need, I guess, to, to play with that emotional roller coaster. Uh, and, and I've not seen that done quite so, uh, staunchly, I guess you'd say with some of the, mm-hmm. the other writers, you know? Yeah. I think it's time for final thoughts and Dalek ratings. I really enjoyed this. Um, now I'm not going to say that, uh, it was a perfect story, but it was very well done. And it was done well enough for me to say uh, that I wouldn't pick it apart and try to thrash it. Uh, I I am very comfortable and very happy in accepting it for what it is. You know, Um, I think overall uh, the villains and the heroes were used really well. I think they were used uh, uh, at least – uh, for their strengths, you know, and not so much. You didn't see hardly any of the, the weaknesses that you'd seen in the past with some of the, the characters and stuff. Um, it's like, especially Mickey, you know, uh, you didn't see any of his weaknesses that you'd seen before, you know. Um, and I really, he's one of the characters that I'm more uh, pleased with, with the, the direction that the character went as the, the, the history of the show moved forward, you know. And you kind of feel like that this was almost just kind of the natural progression of where this needed to go. Yeah. And, and I thought it was a fitting ending in the way that they took Rose out of the equation, you know, um, because they, they left it in such a way so that they could say, okay, this is a definitive ending for the character that everybody can kind of, feel comfortable with you know you don't have Mm -hmm. you don't have a lot of leftover baggage just kind of hanging out there you know you kind of you have this kind of wrapped up in a nice little neat bow and of course it's doctor who you can always come back and revisit that in the future and find a way to make that 
possible. But if you never do, then it's satisfying. It's it's you know it's not one of those dissatisfying endings for a, for a companion. Right. This episode I like. It's it's hard for me to really pinpoint uh, you know a lot of stuff because. We've got, you know, Cybermen and Daleks, you know, going at it together. And, you know, that first scene where they're, you know, insulting each other. I and love and all that. that. stuff is amazing. Yeah. But it then just sort of, like, becomes the background to the goodbye to Rose. Yeah, and sort of. The, the, you know, that's the most, and rightly so, I guess, is the most important focal point of these. the story is, is Rose's goodbye. However... It's a little odd to me that they would pit the Daleks and Cybermen together for the first time in an episode that's not ultimately about them. And so while I like it, while I like the story, I like it for other reasons than the Daleks or the Cybermen. Well, see, that, that's um, why I said it's not perfect, you know, uh, right. because honestly, I would have liked to have seen more of the battle between the Cybermen and the Daleks. And I would have liked to have seen more of the, the characters having to deal with the, the navigation, I guess you'd say of that battle, you know, how, how do we get through this and not die, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but we didn't get to see that much of that. It was, uh, kind of, like you said, kind of the backdrop almost. Um, it was say, I guess, well, maybe this would be a bad analogy. I don't know, but if if you're looking at, uh, say, like the movie uh, Pearl Harbor, you know this, or or even the movie Titanic, you know you have these horrible things that happened, these horrible events, but these horrible events almost feel like the backdrop of this love story that they've got going on in the foreground of these movies, you know, and and the movie itself is supposed to be about these tragic events. But those tragic events just end up being what is happening around these two or three people that the story ends up being about in these movies. And, and it's sort of the same style of storytelling if you're looking at it that way. Yeah. So uh, how many Daleks would you rate this? I'm not going to rate it as high as the last one. Um, but I'm, I'm going to say that I would give it, I would say, an eight. And and it's not because it's bad, but it's because of what we just talked about. I mean, this is the first time you see the Daleks versus the Cybermen on screen, mm-hmm. and they almost gave you nothing in that encounter, you know. And and so, right. you know, it's nothing definitive about story. It. I love the story. I love the characters. I love the way that the acting was done and the way that the you know the whole thing you know flowed and all of that, but. I just really would have liked to have seen more of that encounter between the Daleks and the Cybermen, and so I've got to I've got to drop it down a couple and a couple of pegs for that, you know. So I'm, I'm going to give it an eight, or or is if I'd seen more of that battle and stuff, I think I could have even maybe even given it a ten. Now, for many of the same reasons, I'm going to give this one a, a seven and a half. Um, the, you know, the the emotional stuff with the characters. Uh, the, their development and you know the goodbyes and everything, all very good, mm-hmm. all very 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 good. But it just felt a little bit off to have all of that going on in the same story that you're having the Daleks and Cybermen meet for the first time. Right. You know, it, it's it just the the two stories didn't quite mesh. You you um, almost get the, the feeling that you 
excuse me, you almost get the feeling that you would have liked to have seen Rose's exit in the next story following this, the, the encounter between the Daleks and the Cybermen, as opposed to seeing it during the encounter between the, the Cybermen and the, and the, the Daleks. All right. Um, our next episode, we will continue on our Dalek stories um, with the Tenth Doctor, and we will be reviewing Daleks in Manhattan and evolution of the Daleks. So we'll, we'll see what happens when we go that's, through this. That's one. not the Angels take Manhattan. No. <laughs> Daleks in Manhattan and evolution of the Daleks. So. And in this one, we'll get to see Martha, uh, who we talked about her cousin in this story. Uh, and Martha is a lot of uh, people kind of overlook Martha, I think. Uh, I don't think she's very appreciated uh, by a lot of people as a companion, and I think that can sometimes be unfortunate, because I, I do think that, that she does have something to offer as a companion. And we'll get into that next episode. Any final thoughts before we uh, wrap up this episode? Not really, no. <laughs> okay. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, tell us how much you uh, like these stories, or how you don't like some stories or whatever, you just want to get in contact with us and interact with us, you can do so on our social media, uh, facebook.com slash talkingtimelords. Our Twitter handle is at talkingtimelord, or you can email us at talkingtimelords at gmail.com. Our TARDIS on the internet, our headquarters, uh, is our website, talkingtimelords.com. You can find links to all of our previously released episodes there, as well as links to all of our social media if you forget where that is. Uh, also, a quick reminder... Uh, please leave us a kind rating and review on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you pick up our podcast. We would greatly appreciate that. Uh, and we do have our feed fixed so that every single one of our episodes is now available for download on iTunes. So if you haven't had a chance to go back and you know catch some of those episodes you may have missed due to how our feed was set up there, uh, go back now while you have the opportunity and get those episodes. And you'll get to see just how much the show has changed over the last year. Yes. <laughs> yes. Anything else, Paul? I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> I well, am a happy man. Uh, well, that's good. That's yes, good. Because, you know, we don't always get to say that. So I'm a happy yeah. man today. And uh, I am very much looking forward to our next episode. So. All right. Probably a little bit more than I am. You think? <laughs> mm. Well, uh, and we'll leave you with that uh, <laughs> until our next episode, folks. So this has been episode number 44 of Talking Time Lords, Army of Ghosts and Doomsday Story Review. For Paul, I'm Jason, and remember, until next time... Do you hope far-flung hopes and dream impossible dreams. Thanks, guys. Talking Time Lords is a proud member of the Thunderquack Podcast Network. Visit thunderquack.com to see their entire catalog of podcasts, or visit patreon.com slash thunderquack to help support the shows.
I'm happy. I'm a happy man. Well, oh, well, that's good. That's good. Yes, because you know we don't always get to say that. So I'm a happy man today, and uh, I am very much looking forward to our next episode. So. <laughs> <laughs>